You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Um, I Hi. Get to... Hello. Hey. I get to start us off this week, and I want us to just uh, think for a minute. Just like go into our brains and imagine that we're walking around in a forest as we do. We're naturalists tend to walk through forests all the time. Did it this morning. Yep. Same. Um, you're just enjoying the space, being in nature. You're listening to the birds. Maybe some frogs oh, are so calling. Beautiful. You're walking through oh, the yeah. woods. Uh-huh. Um, maybe great. you're hanging out with a naturalist, so you're not going to go very far without being stopped. We're like dogs. <laughs> we stop every this three is correct, feet. Yeah. Yes. Well, you notice something kind of odd by a rotting tree stump. It's just, okay. there's lots of odd things that let's, can be. Let's investigate. Yeah, let's investigate it. Uh, there's lots of odd things that you can find out in the woods. Uh, but this is kind of, you want to be mistaken because I mean, this has been a very pleasant walk in the woods, but sometimes, uh, you know, there's also the other connotation of woods and forest and that's the horror kind. Okay. Oh, the, 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 the dark and scary woods. Right. The dark and scary woods. Okay. Yeah. You didn't tell us, you did not tell us it was that kind of woods. Right. When we walked into it, Rachel, I'm feeling a little misled by my my guide. I mean, fair. I'm to be fair, it is still those lovely, nice woods. You just happen to notice okay. something kind of odd something, by this rotting is it something tree disturbing? Stump. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you go closer because we got to investigate it, right? Okay. Uh, oh, and it and looks well. It looks. Like rotting fingers are pushing their way out of the soil. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I thought this I was going. I saw your little so gesture, like Kirk. Somebody, some, like a, a hand is coming up <laughs> out of the ground, like a, a zombie, uh-huh. perhaps? Pot- potentially. Maybe it is a zombie. Um, it is not is a zombie. There, is there a dead body in the ground, Rachel? There, there's no... Uh, you can't prove anything. Um, today, I'm okay. talking about... <laughs> Dead man's fingers, which is a fungus. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, it is best fungus name uh, ever. Uh, yeah. It's so good. It's so on the nose. It's beautiful. Um, its Latin name or a scientific name is uh Zalaria polymorpha. It's probably the smoothest Latin name I've ever done. Um it, now well done. Nice. Thank you. Um, now this fungus is primarily found on rotting wood bodies. Uh, so like a rotting tree stump or it's near injured trees. Um, any kind of wooden stuff that is dying or dead that's connected to the soil. Like it can even be found in mulch sometimes. 
Okay, it makes sense. Which is yeah. pretty fun. Um, young dead mm-hmm. men's fingers when they first emerge in through uh, the soil. That sounds <laughs> that sounds so much worse, Rachel. It does. Young dead men's fingers. <laughs> um, it's you, you, you what mean I'm the fingers to... of a young man who's dead. Again, you mean a young dead, dead man man's fingers, fingers fungus. fungus. Yes. Okay. Good. Good clarification. Well, so they tend to be paler. When they first come up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. With <sighs> kind right. of bluer tips. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wonderful. Go on. And as this fungus matures, uh, the fingers blacken. Um, yeah. This they can generally be they can be found all year round, but generally they're best found from anywhere from June to October. Um, and they just kind of mm-hmm. as they blacken, they resemble more and more rotting fingers. Um, some of the ones because what happens is I'm looking at my hand with fingers right now. So these are the fruiting bodies of this particular fungus, and what happens is right. um when they raise up through the through the soil, they are very much little club-like. Uh, they look like fingers, fingers coming yeah. up through yes. the soil. There's no better uh, description of them. Um, they can grow anywhere from a half inch to three inches in height. And they can be as much as about like... That checks out. Yeah, yeah, we're all looking at our fingers. Um, <laughs> they could be about uh, anywhere from a quarter inch to three quarters inch in uh, width. Um, Again, I yes. guess diameter makes sense, right? <laughs> almost um, like fingers. Almost like fingers um, of a corpse, which is definitely where they got their name. Um, so, oh, <laughs> you is that don't say. <laughs> Yeah, I I do say this it just just in breaking news. <laughs> Age old mystery solved: the name of dead man's fingers. They look like dead man's fingers. Um, so when they are younger, especially uh, earlier in the season, um, they often have like this whitish whitish uh, um substance over them that can actually make it look like a nail. Uh, and that's actually uh, the spores coming out from a little hole on the top and kind of just hanging out on the side until wind whisks <laughs> the spores away to for them oh, to man. spread out into the forest. Create more dead fingers. Yeah. To create more <laughs> dead fingers. Um, and those spores can release uh, be released anywhere from a few weeks to a few months. So as long as there's spores, they can they will be released pretty much continuously as long as that fruiting body is above the ground. Um, okay. They are pretty uh, important. So as gross as they look, they're and as gross or cool, depending on your uh, leaning, I guess. Um, they are actually very important. They feed. They are sat. Um, I believe no, not. It's not sapphic. Sapro. Saprophyte? They're saprophytic. Saprophytic? Yes. There we go. (laughs) So they are saprophytic, and that pretty much means they're feeding on the dead wood. They're turning 
that dead wood, dead dying wood into soil. Um, most of the fungus is actually beneath the soil in the mycelium and it is disintegrating and decomposing, uh, the wood into uh, soil and returning it and all of its nutrients back in to the ecosystem is very important. Yay. Yay. Uh, so even though it's weird looking, it's doing a very important job. Um, that's pretty much what I have for you both today. I just wanted to talk about dead man's fingers. Why not? Gotcha. Would, you know, I, I think in horror movies and such, it's always like the, you know, in a graveyard, the hand starts coming up exactly. out of the soil to grab yeah. your ankle. What if it was the fungus? Would it, was there anything more disturbing? Like, like would a, a dead man's foot sticking out of the ground seem worse? Uh, obviously, it could grab you, thing. though. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. I think a face would be rather disturbing. Ooh. But that seems a, a bit much to be asking of my nature. So... It is the reaching, you yeah. know. And Although like, you're in the dark like, and little hands are grabbing you. And... Points-wise, like it's a lot easier to like have narrow like fingers and such go through the soil than to like push through and a head. head. Well, okay. I'm just sort of thinking outside the box here, but yes. I, I well, mean, yeah. I, do, I, I, have I mean, seen... I think if it's to the point of that, they have already escaped the box. Yeah. I have seen some fungus that looks just like an ear, like a severed ear that's pretty disturbing <laughs> horrifying nature's horrifying children it let's can go be. look at it yeah let's have fun I feel like we've wandered far far from the topic. <laughs> well we're we're way off the the, the trail now I, yeah. i've also seen um more commonly than i've seen dead man's fingers is what are called fairy fingers mm, have you seen mm -hmm. these Yep. They're like the same thing, but they're little teeny tiny ones, they're like maybe tiny. an inch tall and very tiny. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've seen those growing fairies. in like, well, especially like wood chips. Yeah. Yeah. It's where the, it's where, if you grind up a tree, you guys, it has fairies in it. Uh, <laughs> Kirk, no. And then you put that mulch. That's where fairy fingers come from is when you accidentally grind up fairies. Kirk, there are children listening so, to this show. I think you, I'm so sad for them. Well, just be careful what you mulch with, you know, that's yeah. all I'm saying. Children, the fairies are fine as long as you believe in them. That's true. See, they 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 they, they come back. Exactly. All right. Well, that's all I have. Speaking for of you coming both. back, uh, <laughs> that's all I have for you both today. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, probably get back on track ourselves, and when we return, it'll be Victoria. Strange by Nature podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who have joined the Society of Strange, our membership group on over at patreon.com slash strangebynature. Society of Strange members can join at one of three different membership levels and help support the show and also get some fun stuff like water bottle stickers or access to a super secret content. So a thank you to those who have joined already to help make this podcast possible. If you haven't joined yet, we'll see you soon over at the Society of Strange at patreon.com slash strange by nature see you soon hey we're back so depending on where you grew up there are certain insect pests that you become more or less familiar with uh, true myself uh having grown up in an apartment building in new york city i have a major horror oh. of cockroaches Cockroaches, Fair. yeah, which can 
grow quite large there, up to a couple inches. It's really horrifying. And they oh, crawl hi. through the pipes and the vents and all that stuff. Uh, Cross your face at night. Yeah, I, it wasn't that bad, but we did buy a lot of roach motels mm-hmm. and place them at various locations. This is turning into a bang-up oh. episode. <laughs> yeah. um, I am shuddering so much. But, you know, I'm, I'm actually not going to talk about cockroaches for the most part. Uh, okay. My relatives all lived in other parts of the country and dealt with different problem insects. So I have an uncle who lives in California, and I remember hearing about his expensive troubles with termites eating at the way at the beams oh. of his house. Hmm. And he, you know, flash forward, he eventually moved into a new development that has steel framed houses for this very reason. Wow. Yeah. We <laughs> would never have to deal with termites again. Uh, termites are the worst yeah and you know i would visit my grandparents in texas and one of the local landmarks in austin where they lived was this uh, pest control company terminix that had this huge sort of 1950s vintage statue of what i guess was maybe a winged termite on top of its roadside sign horrifying yeah (laughs) um what i did not learn until much later was that not all termites are pests and that they have some really amazing things that they do with building. They have the coolest architecture in the they animal kingdom. They do. Yes. Oh. I want to talk about termites because they are so amazing. Uh, termites are, are eusocial insects. So that means they live in colonies similar to the way that some ants, bees, and wasps do. Mm-hmm. Um, but common misconception, which I also had for a while, they are not in fact, closely related to ants, bees, or wasps. So they're not in order Hymenoptera. They are actually okay. in, currently placed in the same order as cockroaches. Wow. <laughs> of course. Latadia. Yeah. Sure. Uh, that's the last Why time not? I'm going to mention cockroaches. But they eat mostly dead plant material, which in the case of, you know, my uncle's house, that was wood. Um, mm-hmm. But it could also be leaves. This, you know, this is obviously problematic in urban areas, but there are lots of species that don't, in fact, interact much with humans in their buildings. Mm-hmm. And termites, the termites I want to talk about today, make their own buildings. So all termites have nests, most of which are ground-based, but there are some species that build these giant mounds that also protrude mm-hmm. from the surface of the earth. And right, right, right. Super probably like seen, a chimney kind of, right? Yeah, you've probably seen pictures of these. Some of them can be quite tall and thin. Some of them are more like a mound of dirt. But um, the largest are up to 12 meters high. Whoa. Whoa. So that's uh, way full stop. <laughs> yeah, so that's like forty feet. Twelve y'all. meters. Oh, that's like almost eight wow. Rachel's. This, oh my this god! Is what I, yeah. Um, now most of them that's are not that high, but n- it is apparent. Yeah. And some of them can be thirty meters Ooh. in diameter. That's so like a hundred feet. What? <laughs> the, uh, I bet. Hold hold What? So 30 feet across? No, so I don't think the one that's 12 meters high is 30 meters across. I'm picturing like this is one big one. No, no, no. I'm like 30 meters across. Is what that is. Oh my, I'm like, so they're like the tall, skinny ones and the shorter, wider ones, I think. 
Oh, I thought this okay. was all one you were describing. No. I'm like, I mean, I knew they got big, but you <laughs> shut the front door. That is just absolutely amazing. I mean, yeah, it's so different still species, cool. different species do build rounds of different shapes okay. and sizes. <laughs> okay. Um, and mound building species live in Africa, Asia, Australia, and South America, but not mm-hmm. North America, which is why we're not as familiar with them here. Right. And these mounds can be incredibly complex and also last for a very long time. But, you know, what I find most interesting about them and that I wanted to talk about particularly is that they have extremely sophisticated ventilation systems. So when I said that they, yeah, they have yeah. the coolest architecture in the animal kingdom. That Literally. was a pun. That was a pun. Very much intended. <laughs> yes. Oh, very, very punny. Nice. I like it. I like it. So scientists believe that the purpose of those towering spire-like mounds um, is, is cooling. Now, it used to be hmm. thought, that, so that's what the belief has been for a long time. It used to be thought that somehow um, they improved the airflow in the tunnels by kind of capturing or funneling the wind. But it hmm, turns okay. out to be much more, much, much cooler than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> So recently, uh, so biologists were able to use thermal imaging cameras and to put tiny airflow sensors in lots of different tunnels in the mounds of one wow. species, uh, an Asian species called Odontotermes obesus. Oh, that one. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Rolled um, right off the tongue. To figure out what was really going on inside this mound. And it turns out that these mounds of this species, but also other species of termites kind of work on the same principle. It's they have a large central air shaft, large central shaft, and then lots mm-hmm. of smaller tunnels that kind of lace the walls of the mound. So um, if you think about a think about a volcano shape and there's the big open space in the center, but then there's tube. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tube in the center. And then there's lots of um, nooks and crannies in the, in the walls of the volcano. Passageways to like, yes, get in more lava. Yes. So in the morning, the sun starts striking the outside of the mound and heats up the air in the small outer tunnels, which rises naturally. Mm -hmm. And because they're linked to the central shaft, it sets up a convection cell. Um, So that warm air on the outside rises and the cooler air in the center sinks. Okay. Um, It's more insulated. Wow. And so then at night, the process reverses after the sun goes down, the air uh, in the small tunnels on the outside of the mound starts to cool down faster and starts mm-hmm. to sink, causing the convection cell to reverse and the warmer air to go up the central air shaft to escape the mound. Crazy. And bringing with it all the built up carbon dioxide from within the nest from the termites. Yeah. Out all day. yeah. Which is Whoa. incredibly ingenious. Yeah. Uh, and it's amazing to think that termite, like these apparently mindless small insects who, you know, Have they're just a little bundle of, of neurons, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they're able to, to build this kind of system. And you can also imagine that it's a very inspiring idea to architects who are looking for ways to cool buildings using less energy. Mm-hmm. Right. And in fact, there is a well-known building in Harare, Zimbabwe, uh, where the architect, his name Mick Pierce, 
<clears throat> was inspired by termite mounds. And although not all of the science that I just went over was known at the time of, that the building was built in the 1990s, Pierce mm -hmm. basically intuited that this must, in fact, be the way the mounds worked, essentially. And cool. he designed the building on similar principles inspired by, uh, inspired by termite mounds. And so uh, when the building is operating using only this passive cooling, no air conditioning system, um, it uses mm -hmm. only 10% of the energy of a single, similar conventional building. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Pretty amazing. I was, in a, I was in a home someone had built that did a, a kind of similar thing where they had like tubes underground that mm. then came up through the walls of the house and they had like a fan they could turn on that would blow air, like take air in and pull it underground where it was cooler and then blow it up into the house. It was mm -hmm. a very simple, not quite passive system, I don't think, but it, it did a similar kind of thing where it was just cycling yeah. cooler air to the other spots. And it's very interesting. Actually, now that you mm -hmm. mention it, I just remembered this. Um, back when I lived in Washington, D.C., I knew somebody who lived in an apartment building that was built, I want to say maybe in the 20s or 30s, and it was situated like overlooking the gorge of Rock Creek Park, which... If you haven't mm -hmm. been to D.C., uh, it's it's quite a bit lower than the rest of the ground level. It's a gorge. And right. mm -hmm. there was some kind of cooling system in the building that actually would draw cooler air up from below. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Hey, so look at that was what I wanted to. Out. Yeah. I mean, the, the basic principles are not difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. Right. It's amazing um, that ants are, or not ants, I'm sorry, termites are doing it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that it's such a complex system that they've managed to build. Mm-hmm. Cool. Sweet. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Victoria. Well, that is, that's what I have on that. And we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we will have something from Kirk. So welcome back. You know, in a show about strange nature, it seems to me uh, over the, you know, a little over a year we've been doing this show, mm -hmm. there seem to be two wells we keep going back to. Mm -hmm. One of them is, of course, the depth of the ocean. There's so uh, many weird things there, Kirk. So strange to us indeed. I know. It's wonderful. And we'll go back to it many, many times. The other, though, is a landmass full of years worth of strange topics. <laughs> I know Rachel's a big fan uh, from echidnas to marsupials yep. and even bizarre endemic plants. Uh, Australia is the gift that keeps on giving. Just uh, so Australia is, is a source of bizarre endemic uh, plants and animals and whatnot. But um, and, and part of why it's so strange is because of its geology and mm -hmm. like and just where it is and how it's been cut off from the rest of the world. Um, but uh, this week, my topic does indeed come from Australia, uh, but I'm not talking about a plant. I'm not talking about an animal. I'm actually going to focus on geology. Oh, yay. Ooh. I love geology. Geology is so, fun. Uh, I'm not, ta not going to talk about the geology of how the land shaped the evolution of those strange plants and animals, which we can talk about someday. But I want to tell a story where the geology itself has helped create one of the world's strangest mysterious locations okay all right so color me there's intrigued. an aboriginal story uh about a man long ago who was building a fire on a mountainside when suddenly he was 
carried away deep into the earth by the evil one. And this man did not die, but he was trapped within the mountain. And he knew kind of what had happened. He wanted to warn others to keep away from this evil place. And he had been building a fire, so he had his fire stick with him. Mm-hmm. And so he decided to set the mountain ablaze from the inside. Whoa, he hoped that the okay. smoke would warn others about the dangers of this mountain. And to this day, this mountain is named Winjin, which means fire. So my okay. topic this week is Winjin okay. Mountain, also known as the Burning Mountain. How do, wow. How do you what? spell that? W-I-N-G-E-N. And this strange location has been known to Aboriginal people of Australia for quite some time. As near as I can figure, outsiders did not lay eyes upon this oddity until somewhere around 1928. But let me try to describe it to you uh, as though you've just come upon it for the first time. Yeah. Uh, The location is northern New South Wales. And for those not familiar with Australia, New South Wales is the southeasternmost chunk of the continent. It's also where Sydney is located. And the Burning Mountain is pretty much due north of Sydney. And so I was looking at a map and thinking, oh, that doesn't look that far. Uh, But Google Maps informed me that it would actually take over 16 hours to get there (laughs) from Sydney. And I was blown away by like how much bigger Australia must be than I was thinking. Yes. Uh, And I checked and it said that it's a 180 mile drive. And I'm like, wait, that doesn't doesn't add up until I realized that... As a little confession time, I had Google Maps set to bicycle routes. <laughs> so yeah, that would totally happen. It takes 16 hours to, to ride your bike there. Uh, it's only like a three and a half. It's like a three and a half hour drive. Have fun biking so it's, up it's the mountain. It's not an all bad drive. I'll see you on bike. I'll wave at you from the car. Yeah, you can take the car. It's only three and a half hours. Um, so... This is also a total aside, but if you do decide to visit and you're, and you're, you are in Australia, be sure to add to your route a stop at the world's largest statue of a blue healer. Uh, now, I have two dogs. Uh, mm-hmm. As you know, they're both part cattle dog slash healer. And uh, this statue is in celebration of the place where healers were bred. And it's only 25 miles away from the Burning Mountain. So plan accordingly. Right. So as you're leaving Sydney, you're ascending up through several mountainous areas along the way. And Burning Mountain is nestled amongst many other mountains. So it's by no means unique in terms of its mountainness uh, in the region. It's just one of many more mountains that looks like all the rest in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, from a distance, perhaps. What has intrigued people for a long time, though, is the fact that this mountain seems to be on fire from within. When you approach the mountain, you notice hmm. that smoke rises up from within holes and cracks in the ground. You can feel the heat underneath you. Uh, vegetation has been destroyed. The landscape looks barren and Mars-like. And the ground itself varies from like a tan to kind of a reddish color. And there's a huh. smell of sulfur in the uh. air. Now, with this description, you'd be tempted to think, oh, okay, well, I'm standing on a volcano. volcano. Right? Yeah. But look closely at the ground and you will see no igneous rock underfoot. You are walking on ancient limestone. There are no volcanoes oh. in Australia, are there? Well, uh, I mean, there, I know there were historically quite a long time ago. I do, I do not know if there's any active volcanoes in Australia. Yeah. Um, so 
limestone doesn't necessarily preclude volcanic activity. There are volcanoes that feed on limestone above as magma rises from below. They actually tend to be some of the most destructive volcanoes on Earth. So Vesuvius is an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here, as you look around, there is not any sign of any lava having ever been mm-hmm. at the surface. Right. So it's like, right. huh, what's going on here? Is it just like a geological hot spot, you know, that's never erupted? Or like, where's this heat all coming from? Is and the like sulfur a and everything. Huge hydrothermal vent or something. Right. That's what that'd be a totally logical conclusion. Geologists studying Burning Mountain, though, have concluded that it is not a volcano. Uh, they have concluded that the smoke, heat, and sulfurous smell are 100% not related to volcanism in any way. Okay. Mm, mysterious. Okay. So what's going on? Mount Wingen is the home to the longest burning coal seam fire oh in the world. Oh, wow. So, so coal okay. for, forms uh, underground in seams or beds. Uh, that's what you would be mining. You'd be mining out that coal seam. Right. And as we know, coal is quite famously flammable. Flammable. <laughs> Like it's we also use it for, you know, in, inflammable because those words mean the same thing. Uh, so that, that's it's a, that's the quality that's made it useful to humans. Mm-hmm. Well, once in a while, the coal can catch fire while it's still in the ground. Uh, coal okay. seam fires can be caused by lightning strikes, even just a brush okay. fire. If the, the coal seam is exposed to the surface, it's quite easy for that fire to you know ignite the coal. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, if the coal is exposed and you have a heat source, it can catch fire. And the coal burning in Mount Wingen is now currently about 100 feet underground is where they figure that it's actually burning. But, you know, it, it could have been closer to the ground uh, in the area where it started burning. Yeah. Right? I mean, so while researching this, I was amazed to learn. Yeah, I was amazed to learn how common coal seam fires are. Uh, according to multiple sources I found, at any given time, there are over 1,000 coal seam fires active what? on Earth. Wow. And they contribute to about 3% of the annual global CO2 in the atmosphere, Gosh. which is not great. The only uh, one I knew about was in uh, Centralia, Pennsylvania. Oh, mm. we're, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So oh, okay. uh, some of them are the result of natural conditions, uh, but many are mining accidents. Uh, most of them will either burn out or are put out. But it turns out putting out a coal seam fire is really, really hard. Mm. Uh, these are smoldering fires. And if you try to dig down to where they're burning, you end up allowing oxygen in and the fire mm-hmm. quickly picks up pace and then races ahead of where you were digging before you can really get to it. So yeah. it becomes quite hard. To, you can't just dig down and, and put it out. And you mentioned Centralia, Pennsylvania. Uh, that is the, the coal seam fire that's burning there. It proved impossible to put out. And it has caused now two towns to be completely abandoned. At the wow. cost of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they estimate the fire in Pennsylvania is probably going to burn for at least another 250 years. Holy shnikes. It's pretty, pretty wild. Uh, Colson <coughs> fires uh, sometimes go undetected. So it's hard to get an exact number on them. But researchers estimate there's currently probably 200 coal seam fires currently burning in the United States across wow. 21 states. Wow. Which is... Pretty wild. I mean, like we know of, of I think about like a hundred plus, uh, but just by kind of doing the math and some figuring, they figure it's probably closer to two hundred, which is yeah, really wild. Some of them might be quite small, and you just you know you wouldn't really know about it. But um, Burning Mountain in Australia though has them all beat. It is currently spreading south, 
at a rate of three feet per year. That's well, so it's, I mean, I mean, that's not that's fast, that's super fast, but it's right burning a lot, but it's on the move. But so far, the fire has burned a four mile long scar across the landscape. Whoa. And geologists estimate that it has been burning nonstop for 6,000 years. What? Making it the longest running coal seam fire known on Earth. Holy moly. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> so my, my sources this week about this was uh, Atlas Obscura, Wikipedia, and a uh, <laughs> very interesting 1963 film called The Burning Mountain, uh, <laughs> which I, I'm not sure how accurate uh, that was as a source, but there it was. So yeah, coal seam fires. I mean, maybe we'll need to talk about the uh, Centralia fire sometime because that's just, we could do a deep dive on that alone. Uh, it's Ooh. it's a Fiasco. fascinating topic. Yeah, but if you are uh, ever in Australia and look for something to check out, this has now become a tourist attraction, uh, and it is actually a park you can go to. That's cool. That's Very awesome. cool. Very hot. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Indeed. Oh. Well, thanks, well, that's, everybody. That's all I've got, you guys. Oh, great. I think that's all, that's all we all have. All right. I, I think so. But it's so wonderful that everyone came to spend time with us today. We appreciate you. We do. Yeah. Thank you all for listening this week. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace The Strange.